so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome to the ERLC Podcast, where our goal is to help you think biblically about today's cultural issues. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and today we're focusing on the ERLC's 2024 Public Policy Agenda. The mission entrusted to the ERLC by the Southern Baptist Convention includes applying Christian principles to moral and social problems and questions of public policy, and promoting religious liberty. One of the ways we do this is through our public policy advocacy, both in Washington, D.C. and throughout individual states. Every year, we compile and release a public policy agenda, highlighting the key pieces of federal legislation our staff is watching and working on within our four categories of priority, life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity. More recently, we've also started assembling a state policy agenda, focusing on our cooperation with Baptist state conventions and advocating at the state level. On today's episode, you'll hear from Hannah Daniel, our Director of Public Policy, who is based in D.C., and Brent Leatherwood, President of the ERLC. They'll explain the importance of our policy agendas and highlight major pieces of legislation that matter to Southern Baptists. In our country, laws at the federal and state level are vital and can either protect or erode the things that Southern Baptists care deeply about, as instructed by God's Word. Because of this, the ERLC assembles both a public and state policy agenda that highlight crucial issues of advocacy in the areas of life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity. Here are Brent Leatherwood and Hannah Daniel with more about what the public policy agenda is and why it matters. So as the public policy arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, we think it is a helpful tool and helpful resource to kind of map out various proposals and policies that our elected officials and and government leaders are debating. And thanks to the work of Hannah, and the team in Washington, we've started creating a state-level counterpart that is beginning to establish the sort of tracking mechanism for various policies. It's not exhaustive, but it certainly is setting a baseline for issues and uh, proposals that are out there that, that we've taken an interest in. And I think that's something that Southern Baptists expect out of our organization. We are the entity that interacts in the public square and with policymakers. And so to me, it's very logical that we would have an agenda that 
sets forth policies that we think are, are helpful and deserve the support of policymakers or ones that we're concerned about that we think need to be brought to the attention of our nation's leaders. There's a couple of different reasons that we put this together, ultimately purposes that we're trying to accomplish here. And first of all, is communicating to Congress, to our other government leaders, helping them know what issues are of concern to Southern Baptists. It's not exhaustive, but it is the most comprehensive document that we put together as far as laying out what are areas of concern and being able to communicate that in one place to our lawmakers and in the states, helping them see what is good policy happening in another state that they might not be aware of. And then I think also this is a helpful way for us to communicate with our churches, helping them better understand how the ERLC is representing them in their interests and helping them have a better idea of how to support our work and to be involved with it as well. The public policy agenda itself reveals a little bit about who we are as the RLC and the, the churches that we represent. In other words, at a basic level, it's about establishing a framework for laws and policies that we think will lead to the flourishing of individuals and families and the protection of religious liberty. And, and so I think that's at its core, that's what the document is about. A recent news report highlighted how 2023 has led to the fewest laws passed in decades. So what does this mean about Congress? And what does this mean for the ERLC and our advocacy at the federal and state levels? This has been a historically unproductive Congress, and that has definitely been something that we've had to think about and address in the way that we do our advocacy. And that's actually one reason that we are putting together the state policy agenda is because Congress has been so unproductive. It's seen so much gridlock. So few of our national problems are actually being addressed in Congress. It's increasingly the state's problems. They are having to step up and address these issues in their states. And so that's one reason that we have, we're still prioritizing the federal level, but we have also shifted our attention to seeing what's happening at the state level because there's more action being taken there. I think a second kind of result of that is that we've had to spend increased time and attention on the executive branch. Working with the Biden administration, they have been unable to get many of their priorities through Congress, addressed through legislation. So they have increasingly turned to the regulatory process to try to push through different changes that they were not able to do through Congress. So for us, a lot of our attention has had to shift from solely focusing on Congress to looking at how can we push back on harmful changes or support good changes in the regulatory process because Congress has been so ineffective at addressing any of these problems. And it's also a sign, right, of just how not divided as in polarized, but just numerically, how evenly divided this Congress is. As we're recording this, Speaker Johnson's majority has 219 members. You need 218 to pass legislation. So I mean, this is a razor thin margin that the majority in the House is working with. 
And over on the Senate side, where the, the Democrats have the majority, it's not much larger. And so you've got a numerically divided Congress, but then also you have a, a Congress that has been subject to the, the buffeting winds of, of polarization, where everyone is locked into their partisan corners. And there's very few, if any, incentives for whether it's leaders or your average member of Congress to try and work with individuals who are on the other side of the aisle. So that is all just a recipe for very little being done. And look, there are some folks out there that would say that a Congress that gets little done is actually a good Congress. And I, I'm sympathetic to those views. But instead, what you're really seeing is a Congress that is unable and unwilling to tackle some of the, the real problems that, that we're seeing out there. They're not able to update and modernize laws. They're not able to really even pass what are sensible fixes to various issues that are out there. And essentially, it just becomes a waiting game until the next election. That's not the way that our, our system was designed to function. And that's why, as a result of that, we've turned our attention to what is occurring at the state level and working with our state convention partners and Baptists at the local level to monitor and start taking a more proactive view in what is happening with policy proposals there. There are many important issues addressed in potential legislation every year. But as mentioned, the ERLC specifically focuses on those that fall within four categories, life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity. Here are Brent and Hannah discussing why our advocacy priorities are within these four lanes. They also point out particular policies in the area of life that Southern Baptists will want to be aware of. Yes, we have those four lanes, and we really try and pay attention to bills that fit in those lanes. That both, A, helps us from just overextending ourselves, and B, it also serves as kind of guardrails so that mission creep uh, doesn't end up overtaking us, where we just start getting into a whole bunch of different areas that really theologically or through resolutions or what have you, that an entity that is representing Southern Baptist churches really just doesn't need to be in. And so those areas are ones that have been prioritized for many years now in the SBC. And that's why we pull out proposals that we think are worthy of support. And then at the same time, ones that, that we have registered opposition to and we think our policymakers need to pay attention to. And I think in this season where funding deadlines are top of everyone's mind in terms of keeping the government open and moving it forward, at the top of the list has to be the, the pro-life riders, ensuring that those are maintained, whether it's in a brand new appropriations bill or something like an omnibus or a continuing resolution, making sure that leaders in the House and in the Senate maintain those bills. So that's something like the Hyde Amendment that ensures that taxpayer dollars cannot be used 
for an abortion. That's something that the SBC has spoken to specifically with resolutions, and that's obviously an area that we have been particularly active on and will continue to do so. And the good news there is, by and large, over the last many years, many of these pro-life writers have been a source of bipartisan consensus that certainly has diminished in recent years, but we want to continue hammering it home that taxpayer resources should not go to ending life. And if it were ever to do so, it'd be violating the consciences of millions of Americans. And so that's where we stand in the gap on that particular issue. The other I would highlight in the area of life would be our continued work against chemical abortion drugs. We have seen just an explosion of these drugs already, but particularly after the Dobbs decision, we've seen well over half of all abortions that take place happen through chemical abortion drugs. And this is very harmful, obviously, in taking the life of a preborn child. But we also know that many women who take these drugs also have complications that require additional medical attention. And so we've continued to push back on administrative actions that expand the availability and and accessibility of these drugs. But also there's a really important case that we're watching and plan to file a brief in as well. Um, This is called the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine versus FDA case. The Supreme Court just granted cert in this case. They're planning to hear it likely this spring. And what this case does is it's challenging the removal of several important safety precautions that go along with the prescription of mifepristone, one of the two chemical abortion drugs. And historically, when this drug was prescribed, it could only be used in the first seven weeks of pregnancy. It required in-person doctor's visits. It also could not be shipped through the mail right into your mailbox. But all of those precautions have been taken away in recent years. And so this case is arguing that taking away those precautions have compromised the safety and well-being of women and girls. And so we will be urging the court to uphold the Fifth Circuit's decision, which ruled that those restrictions should be reinstated. This would have really significant implications on the availability of chemical abortion drugs and could be a really significant win for life if this decision is upheld. One other area I would throw in that's an area of particular concern for us has to do with abortion tourism. And this is something that we've been monitoring through the courts, but it's also something that has been a part of several executive actions. Uh, The Biden administration, through uh, various executive orders, has attempted to allow for abortion tourism, which is, you know, an individual given the ability to cross state lines and go to other areas to procure an abortion. And we just don't think that taxpayer resources, just as much as they should not be used to actually take the life of a preborn child, we also don't think that they should be used uh, in the furtherance of someone traveling to get that procedure done. The 2024 public policy agenda alone has over 40 specific issues we're watching. In addition to the area of life, there are multiple policies within the categories of religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity that Southern Baptists should pay attention to. Brent and Hannah shed light on those and how they might affect you and your neighbors. There's a number of policies that we could devote multiple podcast episodes to. 
But I think one area I'll pull out has to do with foster care and adoption, but as it relates to what we're seeing throughout culture with transgenderism and folks thinking that they can change their identity. And this is affecting religious liberty in a really pernicious way as it relates to adoption and foster care. So at the end of last year, we filed our official comments registering our opposition to a new rule that was proposed by the Health and Human Services Department, which really took aim at parents that are engaging in that space from a faith-based perspective in, in particular, and said that those parents who did not recognize how that child wanted to be termed, then they were ineligible to participate in adoption and, and foster care. Obviously, that violates a lot of different areas where we have led in, in recent years and making sure in particular that Christian families can continue to participate in this because it's a biblical calling. If that sort of thinking and that rule became the law of the land, you would essentially cut out the vast majority of individuals and parents and families that do participate in the adoption and foster care process. So that's that's why we've got to be very vigilant in this area. And there's a proposal, it's been around for several years now, and Senator Tim Scott from, from South Carolina, he has sponsored it, and it's called the Child Welfare Provider Inclusion Act. Essentially, it would prohibit government discrimination against child welfare agencies on the basis of their beliefs and ultimately protect children in the foster system and children waiting for adoption by ensuring that a wide range of child welfare providers are available to serve them. So essentially, these organizations that do these placements would be able to continue working with Christian families and make sure that they're able to, to do this work in alignment with their deepest held convictions. And so this is a very important area for us. And certainly it's one that we're going to continue drawing attention to through the public policy agenda. Another area that I would draw attention to would be our continued advocacy in the immigration space. This is an issue that has only continued to grow as Congress has failed to act. In December, we saw the highest number of arrivals to the southern border that have ever been recorded. There have been some ongoing negotiations around potentially some kind of deal on border policy changes. But even aside from those, Congress's continued inaction on this issue has led to a number of issues. We've seen just continued inaction for DREAMers, who are the children who were now young adults, who were brought here as children at no fault of their own. They continue to have no path towards a permanent legal status. There's also ongoing litigation that likely will end the DACA program, which has kind of been a band-aid solution for them. We also have continued to see Afghans who were brought here a few years ago following the fall of Afghanistan, they continue to be in a similar state of limbo without any path towards a permanent solution. And so the URLC, we have continued to advocate for these vulnerable groups of people while also speaking into um, the situation at the border. We know that we need strong borders. We need improvements made there, but we can't use that in a way that prohibits forward motion on these other topics as well. 
And Southern Baptist spoke to this this summer at the 2023 annual meeting where they passed a resolution on immigration saying, we do need to secure the border, but we also need to maintain robust avenues for valid asylum claims and to um, provide adequate resources to our border patrol and those working in the immigration system and to provide pathways for those that are already here and who are undocumented. So this is an area that we are going to continue to engage in as these problems continue to mount. I think especially with this being an election cycle as well, rhetoric around this can often get very heated. And that resolution that was passed this summer also included a really specific piece that speaks to how we talk about this issue, that we should do so in a way that promotes the dignity of those who are coming here as immigrants and the dignity of those who hold different positions than we do on this issue. And so I think that's going to be an important part of our advocacy on immigration this year as well. We'll be continuing to hold up and champion the dignity of those who are coming here that were created in the image of God and pushing back on rhetoric that is particularly detrimental towards that. This policy episode falls within a series of our podcast focused on life. The summer of 2024 will mark two years since the historic Dobbs decision overturning Roe versus Wade, which was a celebratory moment. However, as we've noted time and again, there's still much work to be done in the pro-life movement. Here are Brent and Hannah talking about the state of the pro-life movement and what's important in moving forward. So each year at this time, we gather for the March for Life. And that is always a time of encouragement because you see just how robust and and broad the the pro-life movement is. Since the Dobbs decision was handed down, more lives have been saved than otherwise would have. I think it is an unqualified good, but even as the Dobbs decision came down, we were obviously celebratory of the fact that the Roe regime was being taken down. That did not not mean that there weren't going to be challenges ahead for the pro-life movement. That is due to the fact that states were now going to be participating in and in many instances driving um, the way that the question of abortion would be handled. That inevitably meant that there would be some states we knew that would take a a more liberal and pro-abortion perspective. And so in that sense, you can't not acknowledge that that reality. And and that is hard. I would say in some sense, the pro-life movement is fractured. There's a commitment to protecting life, that of course exists, but there's a lot of different ideas about how to achieve that. Before Dobbs, there was one primary goal. There was one mountain to climb for the pro-life movement, and that was overturning Roe. And that kept everyone moving in the same direction, working together well. But since then, I think there's been a lot of division within the movement on what should the next goal be? What's the best strategy to pursue? And everyone is still unified in our commitment to wanting to protect life and wanting to support moms and babies. But I think there's disagreements about what is the best strategy in doing that? What's the best way to get there? And as we've seen some really staggering electoral losses 
in the past couple of years as abortion has been on the ballot in several different states as they've had referendums on abortion laws. This has been sending some pretty negative signals to our lawmakers who are increasingly feeling very timid about speaking on this issue and are kind of walking away from a strong pro-life stance. Many of our lawmakers will say, oh, I'm pro-life for sure, but this really is only an issue for the states now. This is only an issue for, for someone other than me, basically. They don't want to take difficult votes on this topic anymore. And So for us, we have continued to say, yes, Dobbs did put power back in the hands of states, but it didn't absolve you of any responsibility either. There is a continued role for the federal government to play in protecting life, and there's a continued role for the federal government to play in supporting moms and families as we are seeing this issue struggle in polling and at the ballot box. I think the way we can push back on that is saying, no, it's not just about making abortion illegal, but it is also about wrapping around vulnerable mothers as they are facing unplanned pregnancies and in those early days when they're having a new child. How can we support them? How can we meet their needs? How can we take away those reasons that they are seeking out an abortion in the first place? And so there continues to be a role for the pro-life movement. There continues to be a role for the federal government. And I think we have an important role to play in helping the movement move forward, helping us stay unified in what's most important, which is saving lives and supporting families. Policy can be confusing and intimidating to keep up with. It can also be polarizing. Many Southern Baptists might avoid these discussions altogether, while others want to get involved but aren't sure how. At the ERLC, we want to help when you don't have the time to go through all the information that's out there. So how can you follow our public policy work and use it to get involved in your community? The public policy agenda is coming out, so please familiarize yourself with those Proposals that we're registering agreement with or ones that we're registering our opposition to so that you're informed about that. This next version of our state-level public policy agenda, I think that's going to be really helpful for individuals who are paying attention to these issues in their backyard. And that's the thing. We don't want to fall into this trap that thinking everything that happens in Washington or doesn't happen in Washington is the focal point of our political and policy engagement as Christians. That's both unhealthy and frankly unrealistic. You actually can accomplish more good by working with your local city council and county mayor and state legislature because there's just, there's less people engaged in that work. The time that you spend, the energy that that you expend, it just goes farther at the local level. And so I think this state policy agenda. It'll be really helpful for for individuals that are interested in in speaking up and uh, being advocates for good policy or standing in opposition to policies that will degrade human dignity or potentially be harmful to religious liberty. 
You also can find more information about all of these topics and updates on what is going on in these areas on ERLC's website, specifically ERLC.com slash policy has more information about all of this. I also would encourage you to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Weekly. It includes a section dedicated to our policy work and what's happening in DC. So each week in your inbox, you can get an update from us about what's going on, what we're working on, what you should be aware of. And that'll be a great resource as well. Since 1994, the ERLC has had a vital and permanent presence in Washington, D.C. at our offices known as the Leland House. This has enabled us to keep our finger on the pulse of what's happening in real time among our nation's legislators and to speak with conviction about the issues that Southern Baptists care about. And we care about them because the Word of God directs, shapes, and renews us in loving what's good, beautiful, and true. At the ERLC, we will continue to advocate for policies that protect life, uphold religious liberty, respect marriage and family, and recognize human dignity because we believe that God's ways lead to flourishing. And while policies and the work that we do are important, none of it is ultimate. Our advocacy flows out of our Christian hope of a coming kingdom and king in whom righteousness and justice dwell and who will lead us in steadfast love and faithfulness forevermore. As we proclaim these truths in the public square, our desire is that those we interact with will respond to the gospel invitation that holds the promise of a better country and a perfect ruler. Thanks for listening to this production of the ERLC Podcast. Join us next time as we continue our life series with an episode on adoption and foster care.